Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I am Colin McFader, one half of your hosting team, as always, joined by <laughs> Clark Coffee down in... Wait, wait, uh, wait, what was my name? Clark, I don't know, I said Clark, it like that. Clark, 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 Clark. Like, uh, going, it's been... I see. You know, so. it was it was going into the uh, the old '40s radio host. I'm doing by Clack Coffee down in. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I do like that voice, man. I do like that voice. <laughs> well, you know, it's to be fair, we can like pull pull the curtain back a little bit and expose the behind the scenes. It has been a month since you and I have recorded an episode, and yeah, uh, yeah. we actually that's been primarily because you've been shooting and you had a a wonderful vacation. Uh, I think what you were in. You were in Italy. Yeah, I was in Sicily, uh, Austria, and uh, Switzerland. There you go. So yeah. uh, I had a very similar trip myself a couple of years ago. That was it's a it was a really wonderful places. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been a month. So you've just forgotten who I am, I guess. Yeah, basically. Clack, I also forgot what year it is. So. <laughs> you forget what year it is and everything. Tell anyway, us, Clark, what's the news on the horn? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, I am happy to be back with you, Cullen. Like I said, it has been a month, so I'm really excited to dive in. What are we going to cover this? episode this episode long overdue is my own private idaho the gus van sant 1991 flick um one of your favorites if i'm not mistaken it is um, one of my favorites high it, up there yeah yeah it had i mean you know look favorites is always a weird term but yeah, it, it's it's a film that had a big impact on me it was a film that i saw when it was released when i was 15 and the reason that i saw it i mean i didn't know you know it it's funny i i probably I probably had seen Drugstore Cowboy, which is another one of my favorite kind of pivotal uh, films from my youth. And that, of mm-hmm. course, was was the second film directed by Gus Van Sant. He directed that right before he did this film. This is his third. Um, but I don't even know if I knew that. I can't remember. I don't even know if, you know, at 13, 14, 15, if I, I don't know if I was keeping track of who directed what yet. Um, but it was River Phoenix. That's who... Uh, I think his involvement in this film definitely grabbed my attention as a kid, uh, somebody who was kind of starting to develop this idea that I wanted to grow up to maybe be an actor. River mm-hmm. Phoenix had a really, really, really big impact on me. And I think, you know, just about anybody of my generation, you know, if you watched films, if you cared about the art of acting, River Phoenix was somebody who probably had an impact on you because he was of his generation at that age, arguably the best. Um, he was like the Mozart of of that <laughs> stage of acting, like, and Mozart. I mean that not ironically that it was like the, you know, he was kind of this this protege that was that was like a really brilliant actor, and it's a yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think it's been a lot said of so many times that it was a shame that that he he died so young because it would have been so interesting to see no question what his career turned into a major. Um, you can really shame. see that here, yeah. And like I think that I think that you and I both agree that this film for him is a really great showcase of like where his talents could have led yeah um and and um but no he's he's great in it um yeah so that's reeves as well yeah yeah and i think Mm -hmm. it's a strong performance by keanu and there's Mm -hmm. there's a handful of strong performances there's some kids in here who are actual real street kids and i think their authenticity shines through and i think they're Mm -hmm. great and uh but yeah it's so i saw the film you know we'll kind of start I always like to start with uh, we can kind of share our personal experiences with the film because I think, frankly, that's that's what matters most at the end of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, I saw it. I was probably about 15, 16 when I saw the film. And like I said, I saw it because probably River Phoenix, his uh, his involvement drew me to it. Um, but it, it had a big impact on me. I think it was it was one of the 
it was a film, an early example of a film, a couple different things. One, you know, it, this film is really kind of like a tone poem. You know, it, mm-hmm. this film yeah. is not about plot. Uh, it's not about what happens next. It's quite stylized, both in its kind of, um, you know, stealing some Shakespearean kind of-esque dialogue. Uh, it's a combination of, I think, three different scripts from Gus Van Sant or three different stories kind of smashed mm-hmm. together. So He started writing it in the 70s. So yeah, yeah, so it's so it's kind of it's very it's got a lot of surreal elements to it, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, for a 15-year-old kid who's grown up in Missouri and had a pretty, you know, my exposure to the world uh was pretty small at that point in time, uh this kind of showed me a couple things like one, like wow, film doesn't have to just be about plot. Oh, it can be like this kind of tone poem and it can be mm-hmm. about, you know, a feeling, right? That was a huge kind of revelation to me as a kid. And it also, it, and this, I think this film is a good example. It's one of many films that I saw as a kid and books that I read um, that really helped expand my horizons of empathy. And, you know, I, I, and I guess maybe this is why I'm drawn to acting and to filmmaking and storytelling, but I just have an insatiable desire for the hu- you know the human experience and that mm-hmm. that is such a broad and deep thing and I I'm always wanting to learn more about people with different lives and people with different backgrounds and you know this was just a really interesting story of kids who were not too much older than me these characters but they had such radically different lives yeah, I think they're like I, just turning 21 in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just really, it, it was just, so it, I don't know, you know, it was just, uh, it just really stood out to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. And then, and then it's interesting because watching it now for this podcast here, I don't think I've seen it in maybe 20 years. So pr- really interesting for me to see it now. And kind of, I have this memory of it having seen it so long ago. So it can kind of, as we go through this, I'll kind of talk a little bit about how watching it now as a 45-year-old was different than watching it as a 15-year-old. But Mm -hmm. but yeah, what about you? What were your experiences with the film? Yeah, I mean, the first time I watched this was um, a few years ago, 2019. um, At my suggestion. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was supposed (laughs) to, uh, I was heading down to California to do a film um, with you and, and meet up with our soldiers crew. And um, we were kind of sharing films back and forth with each other as to like what potential inspirations or points of like interest might be for, you know, what we were going to do. And one of the ones that you suggested for me was this. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was this and Drugstore Cowboy were the two that you kind of sent up. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember seeing it at the time. And again, I was immediately fascinated by the the Shakespearean elements, um, mm. you know, like kind of the, he said that it's kind of like a, amalgam of like henry the fourth um part yeah one there's, there's kind of loosely um, based on and yeah kind of pieces and snippets of henry the fourth's part one and two and i think even a little uh henry the fifth yeah yes yeah and i think that to me what you know again i'd done a lot of shakespeare in, in the theater program i was in, in high school um and kind of had a really great fascination for it and mm. always you know i've always been a, a fan of shakespeare and, and yeah you know especially delivering shakespeare and, and actually you know acting in shakespearean works i think is always you know kind of an unforgettable experience for a lot of yeah, actors it, um, it's certainly a challenge and yeah, yeah I think. oh definitely yeah to get the the enjambment down and yeah um but it, <laughs> or to but even I think just it was, to understand it for you know oh yeah a, yeah to to get the the, the to actually understand of so the much work, of the text yeah. down um but it was um to me like it's one of those things where i 
you know, I'm kind of hit or miss with a lot of like Shakespearean modern adaptations um, mm-hmm. in the way that, um, you know, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo plus Juliet doesn't, which you didn't like. For yeah. Me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not big on that one. It's very on the nose. It's very much playing up this. I did think it was fun, kind though. of like this. It's yeah, it's fun, but it really, it really plays up this, um, uh, the element to the degree that kind of teeters on a bit ridiculous, very yeah. theatrical. And that's, this, that, but there's that's a lot of ridiculousness yeah, in this. There's positive, a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of theatrical elements of this movie, but I think to me, the way that it is infused within the story and the context and the, like the themes of the movie, they feel much more appropriate mm-hmm. for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, even though of course that is Romeo plus Juliet is literally a, a, Shakespearean story mm-hmm. um, this one I think the direction is just a lot more um, centered on where it wants to be and where it wants to blend in those modern tones and the modern themes and, mm-hmm. and modern elements of storytelling and filmmaking and even just cultural context yeah. with this kind of classical style of like you know timeless storytelling that is this you know very Shakespearean um, the moment when they have that big like strange sword fight in the park when they're all like the little pink onesies and stuff oh yeah yeah feels kind of something like straight out of like you know uh, a number of shakespeare plays oh Um, doesn't it yes like the taming of the shrew even yeah and um uh but it's it really feels right for the movie simply because of the fact that we've been enveloped in this story of just this kind of like these really weird characters and every character is this kind of odd study and like a different type of person um, and sexuality and, um, you know, this, this dreamlike nature of the whole movie where, um, because we of course have a character dealing with narcolepsy, mm-hmm. um, that it's like, there's this really interesting dynamic in the movie of like, what is real and what's like hallucinated mm-hmm. or what's dreamt. And, mm-hmm. you know, that he doesn't give answers in terms of like editing. You'll have just moments where suddenly you'll cut to this surreal image of like a house falling on a right highway in the desert and right but um, what a beautiful symbology of of a climax yeah. i mean i thought yeah. that was i don't and and i you know i meant to look it up and i i haven't but that's clearly of course that's not cgi in 1991 mm-hmm. i i i'm curious to know exactly how they did that shot did they yeah yeah maybe <laughs> but it's a giant crane but yeah, no, and, yeah and so then that, that was kind of the first like at the first time that i saw it really yeah kind of swept me up in that mm-hmm. um and then i watched it twice for this episode oh okay um and i think again revisiting it i had forgotten a lot of the more stylistic parts of it that i really liked um yeah. even you know things that we'll get into later but like the use of tableau yeah um, which i think I is that was so really, intriguing really cool. here yes yes the use of color even um mm-hmm. like it's not it's not I, I would say the cinematography is by no means surreal or super um stylized you know, it's heightened not... or stylized right. but there's moments where they use like elements of you know where keanu's face is half red mm-hmm. and it's there's a lot of reds there's really, a lot of yellows yeah this yeah. really deep rich color that comes out of the film stock and um i think that it's, it's again it's kind of this thing where where i think the reason that i appreciate it so much and that i appreciate the avant-gardeness of the movie is because it feels really really built into the actual structure of the movie mm-hmm. and it feels like it's mm. it's it's like a part of it that it that it came out of everything that was like it wasn't added it's authentic on. it's authentic it's authentic it's, exactly yes it's it's um, like this this was you know this is a director working authentically and frankly a cast and a crew mm-hmm. i mean it's exactly. firing on all cylinders right where this isn't a calculated uh 
approach uh, or some gimmick or some, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which a lot of times I think uh, extreme style or kind of, a, you know, when people attempt to kind of go in a surrealistic, you know, direction, a lot of times it feels very gimmicky. It can, yes. you know, yeah. and I don't think it does at all here. I think everything feels extremely authentic here. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and I think that really, you know, that that touches you, I think, on a deep level. It goes back to why I was so moved by the film as a kid, because even as a kid, I don't know anything about film technique. I mean, I'm, you know, this is well before I ever studied film to any extent whatsoever. I, I'm just kind of, you know, but everything worked on me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't it was I wasn't analytical. I wasn't in my head. It bypassed all those things. And it really worked on an emotional level for me. And that's that's the key, you know, yeah. do the stylistic choices work emotionally? Um, yeah, so, exactly. And I think they really do here. Well, well for, I mean, Hey, look, first of all, it's, uh, it's, I'm glad that you like the film. It's always nice when somebody, you know, when I suggest a film to somebody, especially one that, you know, is a little bit, uh, you know, different than mainstream. I'm always mm-hmm. curious to see, well, that, you know, there's a good chance that person might not like it, but it sounds like you did enjoy this film. So yeah, no, yeah, definitely an enjoyable, uh, rewatch especially yeah yeah i mean it, it's interesting you know this film came out in 91 and mm-hmm. i kind of you know it's trying to like think back uh like put the film in some context i think you know right off the bat we've got to think about the kind of the landscape of you know the representation of gay characters in films mm-hmm. uh in 91 and i think this clearly is a film that I, I think is considered a landmark film or really important film for gay or queer cinema. And, uh, and I think it, you know, that was one of the things that stood out to me as a kid um, was that the film really t- treats these characters as just like it, they don't, they don't martyr them. They aren't idealized. They, but they, and they aren't stereotyped. Mm-hmm. It's like very matter of fact, um and i think that's significant i think at the time when this film was released there wasn't a lot of that going on it's not it's not patronizing in the slightest it's very and it's not reductionist yeah Yeah, Yeah. it's you know um it's and so i you know even i didn't have i couldn't have articulated that of course when i watched the film but i guess that's what i try to what i'm trying to say when i said that this film was like a empathetically broadening film for me Mm -hmm. um you know not being gay myself and growing up in Missouri and in the time in which I grew up, I did grow up around a lot of casual homophobia. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a fact. It was, and I say casual, not that it was, <laughs> I mean that it was uh, everywhere, prevalent, you know, that, that it, as a straight person, I, that's just how kids would talk. And I mean, you know, um, and so it had a big impact uh, on me in that way of opening my kind of like exercising my empathetic muscles and like, whoa, you know. There's a there's like lots of different people out there, and they're it's people. not just the stereotype, yeah. And I can and I can like see myself here. It's like we all experience longing for love and longing for home. And I know it, you know it, it seems maybe ridiculous as adults. We've had we've got a lot more life under our belt, but to you know a little fifteen year old kid growing up in Missouri, sometimes these things can be really eye opening for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, I think that's why this, one of the reasons this film is so important to me is that it, it kind of helped show me among, you know, along with many other works of literature and film, how powerful art can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, but I think it's important context. You know, I think this was a big, that I think that we could definitely say that it was a landmark film in that way. 
Yeah, um, no, definitely. I mean, you look at the prior depictions of like homosexuality or even just any gender or sexuality kind of variances in film. Yeah. And either you have something where it's it's used as an element of like a horror mm-hmm. um, right. or it's a gag yeah. or on the kind of right. other it's end the of the spectrum. It's the, it's this like the entire film centers around this like tragedy about that person's identity and it's all centered like that person doesn't have an identity it's just that that they're one element of their they're reduced that one to element. that yeah yeah right. and so i think that it's very true that like when you you know this film the fact that they are um gay or bi or or you know it's never what really it? specified because keanu reeves of course goes with with both yeah um or even some cases it's almost hinted that it's just kind of like an element of like making money and um yeah. but you never you know, it's never something that is that is like again patronized, or um, you know, it's never um, like centered on in such a degree where it just feels like it's preaching. Yeah, and I think that that really makes it much more authentic. It makes it much real realistic, and, and yeah. it makes it easier to just I think relate. You know, to, yeah. to this this, yeah. this really again, you you just kind of feel what the characters are feeling. Um, in a way that kind of surpasses that that one sticking that one. point that a lot of other movies would really oh, really hard and we've on. had some and i think you and i talked a little bit you know before we started recording of some examples of you know kind of these oscar bait films uh, mm-hmm. oftentimes they're biopics it seems that you know <laughs> we we find a lot of this and uh, the opposite of what we're describing for my own private idaho we see the opposite of that a lot of times in these biopics where you know characters are they're reduced and the complexity and nuance of their humanity is, you know, is, is just taken away uh, mm-hmm. and they're turned into martyrs or they're turned in, you know, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's just unpleasant to see. I don't, it's not interesting. And I feel like it's insulting to the real human beings. These films are about, you know, these. Well, and it's, I think it's one of those things too, for me that, that really, um, you know, a, a more recent example of a movie that I think does it really well. And it is honestly similar ish in subject matter to mm-hmm. my own private idaho is moonlight um which, which I, I have found not it, seen it, unfortunately it, I have, what i, I liked about a... that and what i like about this yeah. is that it like the characters still they're you know they're flawed they're they're yeah. human they they're are human. you know they, it's it's a story about somebody it's not a story about um you know and i think and i, I just think i can see to me why this would have been such a breath of fresh air for um you know the gay community or, sure. or even just like a gay kid growing up, just, just thinking like it's about time that there's a yeah. movie that comes out where it's, it's, it's a happenstance part of their personality. And it's not just about, you know, X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. aspects of their, and, and I think that that's, you know, exactly what you're saying. There's so many biopics that come out that are just about the one element of this person's one life. One element, like a handicap or their sexual and orientation becomes, or... Yeah, and it just becomes... Um, those things are all important. Like, don't very, But also me. very often done by people who either aren't gay or aren't trans or aren't, you know, that it's like this, this like, pat on the right. back. Right, Um Whereas, of course, Gus Van Sant <laughs> yeah. is, is a gay man. And so it, right. it really, I think that's... I mean, undoubtedly, that's where a lot of the authenticity comes from, where he doesn't feel the need yeah, no to question. pander. He doesn't feel the need to... Yeah. Um, to give this like heartfelt, you know, martyrdom to these characters. He can just make these characters be real to yeah. what he experienced Full, and what rounded, he, and I think you feel nuanced. that. 
exuded throughout the whole movie. Even if yeah. Gus Van Sant wasn't actually, you know, a um, you know, a male prostitute or whatever. Sure. And, and no, I think he, I think he, I, I think I'm pretty sure that he did not have that experience. And yeah, I think he actually grew up with quite a bit of money. I think his family was yeah, they were wealthy. pretty well to do. Yeah. And, and uh, so it, but you still get this idea of where like how deep identity can go yeah. for somebody and how if you actually play that authentically and you just put that into the movie as as what it would be and what it feels like to be that character and that these characters aren't stereotypes they're not um you know they're not caricatures of of what people at the time especially would imagine a, yeah. a gay person was um it goes a long way and i think that you if anything are a testament to that being 15 in, I mean, because even when I was 15 or maybe a little bit younger, but when I was like in middle school, there was still at that point still a lot of casual homophobia and in, in like yeah. just culture at that time. And, um, you know, that's like the mid to late 2000s. And, and there was still, you know, you could go to a movie and there would still be plenty yeah. of jokes at, at any marginalized group's expense. And yes. um, so I think the fact that this movie without thought, convinced without even a 15 year old kid in rural Missouri to have empathy for, you know, towards um, just people that I'm sure that you had probably, I'm sure that in passing you'd probably run into gay people, but that weren't out, right? That, right. that were very much it likely It was not within my experience at that point so, of my life, right, yeah. Yeah, so I think it, it's a testament to this movie's authenticity and the, the far reach of just being, taking that authenticity to a point where it's, it's, it's just, it exudes itself in the, the film itself and the story and the characters rather than, again, being preachy. Yeah. Um, it's I think a that wonderful that kind of power. Shows, yeah. It's a wonderful power that uh, art can have. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I, you know, and there's other, like, I, and I think that's probably one of the most significant kind of contextual, you know, uh, pieces about the film. But there's like, in a totally different way, kind of a fun kind of context for me, just like kind mm-hmm. of personally, uh, totally different direction than that. But, you know, like I said, I was a big fan of River Phoenixes. And we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about performances and the people in the film. But Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers yes, is actually in, in yeah, yeah. he's actually in this film. And, you know, McFly. He, yeah, and he, <laughs> and he was in a handful of films, exactly, yeah. right? Uh, Back to the Future. But he was in a handful of films. I mean, I think mm-hmm. over his whole career, he's been in about He's still, yeah, he was in uh, the Edgar Wright movie a few years yeah, ago. So. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, but it's like, uh, but Flea's in it. And of course, mm-hmm. Flea was in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And of course, uh, their guitarist, uh, and I probably mispronounced this, I think it's Frusciante. Is it Frusciante or Frusciante? Um, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but John is the guitarist in that band. And I, I happen to be actually, I, I'm not a super huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan, but I am a very, very, very big fan of John's. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is really an extraordinarily gifted musician and guitarist. Um, and just a small plug, if, if, People out there, if you've not listened to any of his solo work, I recommend you check it out. Uh, really, it's quite significantly different than the Red Hot Chili Peppers anyway. Mm. But River Phoenix and Flea were friends. And so I guess River ended up getting to know John. And uh, River was even on uh, John's, uh, his first solo album, Neandria, Lades, and usually just a t-shirt. I think it's actually two like EPs put together, but that's uh, John's debut solo album and Rivers on mm-hmm. that. And I think he's even in a few more pieces of, of he's in a, a Red Hot Chili Peppers music video too. He's and, yeah. So there's yeah. so I guess what I'm trying to say is there was like this fun little group 
of like clearly these are friends they're like sharing in each other's projects and i always thought that was kind of fun i don't know if you find that kind of, but you know you're kind of no a yeah it's, of, it's i i love i love those little kind of like collectives where, yeah people, where it's but, almost like yeah. this little universe you know that's kind of, you're mm -hmm. like and, and especially this is like pre-internet and I'm like, I, it would be fun to kind of pick up these little pieces like, oh, that's River Phoenix on that song. Oh, it's kind of like oh. the Mel Brooks, Richard Pryor, uh, you know, like the like group of them, the Gene Hackman, Gene yeah. Wilder, that that all kind of, they would just appear in each other's works because it yeah, was yeah. fun. And it was fun yeah. to pick it out. You'd be like, oh, there they are, you know, or yeah, yeah. So so I thought that that was kind of fun. That was like a fun little piece for me, just as contextually uh, for this film. Um and uh, and of course, I already told you that I, I'm a big fan of Drugstore Cowboy. But let's mm -hmm. talk, let's go in then to, to Gus's direction and talk a little bit about that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the things that's that like stands out to me uh, pretty significantly about his, Gus Van Sant's direction is the improvisation and yes. looseness. Yeah. And, and not just it's uh, he definitely gave his actors a lot of room to improvise. Uh, matter of fact, uh, River Phoenix actually completely rewrote the pivotal, important campfire scene where yes, he expresses yeah. his actual true love and longing to be close to uh, Keanu Reeves' character. Mm -hmm. But but he actually, Gus Van Sant, let River Phoenix rewrite that entire scene, which I think is pretty amazing. But he also, it's, uh, I mean, I, I've heard him talk about it, and you can see it in the work, very loose with his, with his blocking state. You know, he... He would storyboard anything, kind of going back a little bit to Werner Herzog and <laughs> not ever wanting to storyboard anything. But you can feel mm -hmm. that, I think. Not that it, not that it doesn't feel um, thought out. It definitely feels yeah. thought out and refined. Yeah. But, but you do get a sense of spontaneity. You get a sp sense of looseness. Well, I also wanted to, to say on that point, too, that it's like a very rare talent to have somebody who has this improvisation in their movie so you know, so throughout, but also mm -hmm. at the same time, the, the camera work feels um, collected and it feels intentional and it feels, absolutely you know, pointed. Like there's there's not a ton of just like handheld going through conversations. Generic. Where well, it's there's like not you just a lot feel of... Like someone's following and yeah. just like trying to keep up with the actors. It, it, it's this really neat kind of dance with yeah, the it... actors who are clearly improvising, but also that the camera is able to, like you've got such skilled technicians and direction that you yeah. can... You can still make it seem like there's an articulated camera movement that was thought out prior, mm -hmm. while these these actors are are improvising, which I think is really really rare and and again a really a good testament to to his you know directional talent. Well, and we we actually have two people who are credited as cinematographers. We've got mm -hmm. uh, John J. Campbell and Eric Allen Edwards, and I I think Edwards did most of the lighting and Campbell operated camera. I think. Um, but, uh, but we do have two people listed. I think, you know, you're right. I, what I see in the work is a lack of generic camera. And, and when I mean generic camera, you see this a lot, I think in television, right? Where mm -hmm. you see just a lot of really generic over the shoulder, over the shoulder, two shot. We need to repeat. capture the scene's we coverage. Got, we're, yeah. We, right. We're, we're just utility, I guess. I, I kind of call it like utility shooting where yeah. it's just, yeah. we got to get it done. We got to get it done. Let's get our coverage and move on. Well, you definitely don't see that in this film. I think um, there are sprinkled throughout the film, a handful of actually quite technical camera moves or camera work. And I think that, that, you know, putting those, quite technical pieces in there, um, I think really helps contribute to that overall feeling that it's, um, 
that it, it really spent some serious time in consideration. I mean, just things that kind of just come at me right now. There's a really beautiful crane shot uh, where we come down off the roof of a building and we go through a handful of hustlers that are on the street corner into the adult bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a and really, then Keanu's on the front cover, yeah, and right, and then yeah. well, that's another shot that we'll get to in a second because yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Um, yeah. But that's like a really technical, I think, you know, very choreographed, uh, very poetic shot. You've got some interesting, I mean, you've got a camera on a, you know, on a motorcycle pointed up at the handlebar. It's a really mm-hmm. interesting, unique um, angle. There, there's a lot of, I think, really, you know, clearly like very specifically choreographed shots. But then you've also got some handheld mixed in. You've got yeah. the, the opening mm-hmm. shot is handheld. Um, it's actually, but again, it's one of those things that I, I I always like divide handheld into two different categories. There's like the, there is the, the handheld, which is a choice, which is a planned, you know, you've got very specific blocks and markers that you've got to hit in that handheld. And then there's the second type of handheld, which I think is, you know, the messy kind of lazy way of doing it, which is just like, yeah, we don't really want to put a camera on the tripod. So we're just going to follow the action. We want to save time. But, and it's very much the first type, like you can very much tell. And it's well done. Moments that it's, yeah, it's very, it's It's very very thought out. It's methodical. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 yeah. And it's, it's like one of those things that I, I always admire Spielberg for being able to do that as well, where, you know, there's, especially in his later films, there's a lot of handheld in Spielberg's films, but you can always tell that, that wasn't just a choice out of laziness or saving time. It was a choice out of like, this would work here because yeah. this is the feeling of the scene. And I, I get that a lot in this, which is that, yeah. And it, which is again, kind of my point about the improv, which is why it's so special to me that, that it does still feel so um, refined and that it feels very directed in a very good way. Not, yeah. you know, not that you're like feeling it feels choices, conscientious. But yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and it's interesting too, you know, and it's, uh, like I mentioned, the, the very opening, you would kind of have, uh, I think this is a good example of that thoughtfulness, especially with the handheld work. You've got the movie opens on a scene with River Phoenix character on the road, which mm-hmm. is, a, this is, I mean, in, that we haven't really talked about that so much, but this is in a way a road movie. This is kind mm-hmm. of in the, the tradition of the road film. And, um, but, uh, but he wakes up and this is a handheld shot. Of, but it's it's one of the better handheld shots I've I've seen in a long time. It's mm-hmm. it, and I'm pretty sensitive to handheld camera work. I mm-hmm. I am not a fan of shaky. I'm not a fan of just like you know putting movement in a shot because we want to try to give it some kinetic energy. Yeah, you gotta make I, it I, exciting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think you and I both. Agree. I like a heavy camera. I like a you know a weighty camera. I like um, to feel the intention of like a movement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's extremely well done. But but then we bookend it that the film ends with the exact same shot in effect. Mm-hmm. But it this time we're on tracks and it's a dolly yeah. shot. And it there's you can the, the contrast that they're making about where the character was when he started and where we are when we end and what we've gone through in the movie is a very conscientious choice to have a different mm-hmm. type of shot at the end, the dolly versus the handheld. But the, the, the film is it's just a, a small example, but the film is full of these kinds of thoughtfulness. And, and it's very it's like a grand approach to this like kind of surreal dreamlike feel of the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like that opening shot feels very dreamlike. It feels very and you're, you're intercutting with these like 
just flashes of imagery of like seemingly unrelated imagery, but you realize throughout the movie why he's thinking about those images, why they're coming up oh. of like houses being destroyed and, and things like that. And well, we've got the, the time lapse. We could talk about yeah, that. Time a lapse bit. Photography, we have, yeah. We have some really wonderful time lapse photography. Yeah. Um, we've got, uh, I think there's some eight millimeter footage, if I'm not mistaken. It's either yes, eight or the, 16. Yes, the old home footage. Yeah. The old, the old like simulated, right? Home footage. Yeah. Um, where we have uh, River's character. Uh, you know, thinking back, trying to pull these memories of his past when he felt like he had a home and he felt mm-hmm. safe with his mother. Um, he's always trying to get back to that. Uh, I think that was really well done. That's it. This is really there's and there's quite a bit of it. Um, but he it's really well done. We've mm-hmm. got you'd already mentioned the tableau. I want to talk oh, yeah, about that's that a really bit. interesting. So yeah, there's two. Three. I think it's only used or two. There's two or a three, three times. I think there's three that's, times. I think yeah, we, we have. There's, uh, maybe I'm wrong. We have uh, Keanu Reeves' character um, with the girl, the woman that he meets in Italy yes, in the farmhouse. Right. Yeah. We yeah. have the threesome. Um, with the, the German guy. With the German, yeah. and, uh, who is like fantastic, uh, like character. Oh, That's fantastic Udo performance. Kier, yeah, yeah. I think, is Hans. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I felt like there was another, but maybe I'm. Maybe I'm making that. There up. might have been. I can't. I, those are the two that stuck out. Those to are me. the two that stand but out. But it's this for me. really interesting thing where it's like it's like you get into this this like sex scene, and suddenly it's just these flashes of tableau that aren't stills. They're not freeze frames. They are. You can tell the, the actors, actors are, are still frozen. breathing yeah. and moving. But it's like yep. this really interesting. And they're in these incredibly almost Renaissance painting like positions yes. Of, yes. of like the intermingled like, arms and yep. and beautifully lit. And um, you know, again, it it really exudes that kind of this this 15th century shakespearean feeling to me of like oh like this like artfulness i of, hadn't thought of, of that yeah yeah it, so i mean at least that's kind of what i got from it just well, that, I, that it felt like those renaissance paintings of just these like nude bodies that are intertwined that are together especially i think the one that i thought the, was the most beautiful was keanu and the the farm girl in, right. in the italian farmhouse because carmella just yes. that that image of of like the light coming through the window when they're standing on the windowsill yeah it's like kind of embracing each other fully nude and, and it's you, this really really incredible and um, i want to say way to do yeah yeah i want to say i don't know how you feel i take like a small digression here but you know i feel 99 uh, of the time that sex scenes in films are almost like 99% of the time they are the opposite of sexy. They're cheesy. Mm -hmm. They, I I don't know. It's like, it's, it's either they're gratuitous and it's obvious they're gratuitous or or, directors clearly feels kind of uncomfortable about like, right. And everybody in a way. (laughs) Yeah. But so, so it was so interesting to see this extremely unique way of doing this in a, in a certain sense, it's like, and, and I think it's for the reason that you just described that it, 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 I don't know, it removes us a little bit so we don't feel awkward, right? Mm-hmm. But we're allowed to kind of look at the beauty of the scene and in a way that's almost more sensual than, you know, yeah. and and, it, and I think it was extremely effective and I would consider stealing this technique at some point. No, Maybe yeah, I think to... it's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful technique that's I've literally never seen done again. And I've never seen it that done I again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no, I, I agree with you. I think that like, I, I'm also not like, I don't think that, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, sex scenes should never be in movies because they're always tertiary. I don't think that. I think that there's a lot of like very powerful statements that you can like, just like in this movie that you can sure. make with a like sexual yeah. moment. Or, I mean, on, on kind of the other end of the spectrum from this, um, you know, a very grounded and real, uh, 
like sexual moments and like basic instinct. I think that those sex scenes are like both incredibly like, you know, erotic, but also at the same time are very well crafted. And so, it, but it's kind of, again, it's like the opposite end of the spectrum mm -hmm. of like, you're kind of removing all of the art house in that instance. Yeah. Whereas this one really embraces that kind of, that very art house avant-garde yeah. feeling where it's like, you're just getting these almost flashes of memories, which to me almost feels like really, really psychological in that it's like, it's like this kind of like, you know, post-sexual feeling of just like these flashes of memories as yeah. opposed to like existing in the scene with those characters as they're doing Which it. Which feels more, um, yeah, it feels more accurate to memory that that's yeah, kind yeah. of, of regardless exactly. of whatever the thing is that you're remembering where they're like, like it's these like this adrenaline, these yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very interesting. I hadn't thought of it in that context either. But yeah, it's, I, I, I and I've not seen this since. Um, and I think it, a very interesting choice to not use actual freeze frame, like you said, but it's actual, you know, we've got running film. It's 24 frames per second. But mm -hmm. we have actors posed together, and they're doing their best to hold still. And it's so, only like two seconds per shot. Yeah, too, it's like maybe very two quick. seconds, but, yeah. but it's enough. You can see the breath. You can see, I mean, yeah, because they're, yeah. they're kind of contorted in, in challenging positions, I would imagine, just logistically as an actor. I bet, you know, some of these positions are yeah. probably hard to hold. And you can see that they're kind of struggling to do so, that there's movement in their bodies, which which frankly I think adds actually as opposed to distracts from the technique I, I found yeah. it really intriguing no yeah it felt really organic like you were like again it to me it felt like these li like I think that if he had done freeze frame it would have taken away that feeling of like this living renaissance painting yeah yeah yeah, Whereas, yeah, like, yeah the fact that it's live it feels like you're like seeing something in person that it's like this brilliant like yeah. work of art and or even like ne not even necessarily paintings i mean I, I definitely get a lot of paintings from it but like statues even like marble statues yeah. embraced um, yeah you feel yeah. like these statues have come to life but are well, still well you know gus is yeah. a, was a painter or is a painter but i think mm -hmm. he he has a, a lot of painting experience and yeah. and so that it's very possible that that's maybe part of the connection for him with that mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting. Well, let's like jump a little bit, um, as we cruise through here to performances. I, we've touched on mm -hmm. like some of this for sure, but I kind of wanted to just hit this again. I mean, we've already talked about River Phoenix. I think, you know, across the board, I think just about everybody agrees that this is one of, if not his best performances and, and, and a, a career that was short, but quite substantial. I think, uh, when he was younger, younger, Stand By Me was another one of his, yeah. Really, yeah, he also had the small part in uh, the third Indiana Jones. Oh, uh, yeah, where he played Indy, yeah. yeah, and that was yeah. that exposed him to a wider audience, huge um, audience, yeah, yeah, to a huge audience. But yeah, I mean, this was you know one of his last performances, one of and maybe one of his most significant. And mm -hmm. like you've already stated, I mean, it, it hints at doesn't even hint. I mean, it it directly you see like he is extremely captivating. Mm -hmm. um, he feels very authentic. And uh, there's like just really physicality. I think one of the things that really strikes me about this performance, I'm curious if you noticed or what you think was his physicality. I mean, this yeah. character is yeah. narcoleptic. Um, there's some, I don't know. It's, I don't, it's how to describe it. I mean, it just, it seems like so much of his acting is uh, so perfectly conveyed through this character's physicality. Uh, mm -hmm. That he really plays the vulnerability me. really well. Yeah. yeah, it really strikes uh, me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and River always, I think... And, had had a vulnerability about him that he communicated through his work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and which is same... and it's really interesting in, in contrast to Keanu Reeves' character, who yeah. is like very confident, very, you know, he's the one that's making these grand speeches and and 
yeah. fooling with um, Bob Pigeon. Yeah. And like all these like moments where he, you know, and he just is able to like go to his father and directly stand up to him and say, Well, the stakes are the stakes and... are radically different for the two yeah, characters. Exactly. I think Keanu yeah. does a good Keanu job. Has this safety net of, of yeah. like his character. I mean, not Keanu yeah. Reeves, but he has this safety net of, you know, explaining why he's not vulnerable, explaining, you know, very much alluding to the fact that he doesn't have that much to lose. Um, and of course, the film ends with him getting that and essentially. Yeah breaking off from this lifestyle but the but yeah i think that keanu i mean i mentioned this when we were having our little preliminary chat but um i had just the other night rewatched the um coppola dracula um bram right. stoker's dracula and which of course stars Keanu reeves that he got a lot of flack for that role oh my kind idea of ever. This, yeah. this this british accent and he's not great <laughs> at it but but i actually like really enjoyed his performance in it that this time i watched it I, like he he plays up that whole movie is so stylized and so um, like surreal in a way, very, very, you know, similar to this, like where there's just like very, nothing feels real in the film, mm. um, like that it doesn't bother me. And I, I found the same with this where it's like, I think River Phoenix is the star in terms of authenticity, but Keanu Reeves to me plays up the Shakespearean elements to like a really lovely degree. Mm. Like he's almost like delivering these lines, like he's on stage and I love that. And I, I, yeah. I'm sure that was intentional. Like I'm sure that Gus Van Sant likely directed him in that yeah. way to have this like really confident again almost like the tilt of the movie where it's like this like confident monologuing like dance like character who who like captivates the room when he's in it and, and then you've got river phoenix who's quiet and brooding mm -hmm. and um you know mm -hmm. it's very interesting this this dynamic between the two leads um, it is and it's again it's a shame that they didn't get to do more together because I think that they had a lot of really great chemistry working together as well. And they were certainly um, friends in real life. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, yeah. a little bit of the story, you know, I think they they kind of formed a pact that they would both do this film or not do this film, but that they would mm -hmm. do it together. Uh, yeah. So I know River and Keanu, they had worked on a film previously together. They were friends and uh, they kind of talked each other into the film. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think you can see that. I think, you know, there's a... Um, there is a good chemistry. And, and yeah, you know, Keanu Reeves, and I've heard even some criticisms of his performance in this film. And of course, yeah, I mean, he's, I think he's come around to his career to such a place now that he's fairly beloved. You know, I think, you know, mm -hmm. he has a reputation for being extraordinarily kind and generous in, in real life as a human being. And uh, from he's Toronto, so, he's so <laughs> ubiquitous. I mean, he's everywhere, you know, that that it, it I think everybody just kind of loves him at this point, yeah. you know, yeah. regardless of whether you think he's an outstanding actor or not. But I do think it's easy to take him for granted. And I do think that he uh, he is quite good in this film. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. another performance that's worth um, pointing to uh, would be uh, Bob, the character of Bob, played by yes. William. Is Which it, is another interesting story. Richard, yeah, Richard, is it Richard? Richard, yeah, I think it's Richard, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so, uh, William is actually a director, and uh, he uh, had directed a film that uh, River Phoenix had been in, and so the story goes that uh, they had already cast that role with somebody else, but that actor wasn't working, and mm -hmm. so when they needed to find a replacement at the last minute, River Phoenix had william in mind and talked him into performing this role i so i don't know that william had had a ton of acting experience before this i'm not quite certain but i do but know he's a lot he, of fun yeah yeah but he's a lot of i think his, he is absolutely great now he has by far the most shakespearean uh kind of twist and and dialogue uh of any of the other characters um 
but his character is absolutely fantastic. And I think it's a character that you could easily miss the mark on. And uh, it's because he's over the top. Um, but I think he just nails it. I think it's a fantastic performance. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, you've got Flea. And, like, what can you say? You can't yep. say anything bad about Flea. Oh, Flea man. is awesome. I, what yeah. am I going to, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, he's so much fun. <laughs> you got to love Flea. Yeah, that guy, yeah. he always brings so much energy to everything he does. Oh, I, God, yeah. I mean, whether it's, whether it's his music, whether it's his acting. And, you know, I read his recent autobiography, and I, I'm i just like, how can you not love Flea? I mean, yeah, I don't know anything about his personal life, but he seems I don't also either. Like I don't a know nice anything guy. about his personal life. Like, he sounds life. like, he, he just seems, from from what I've seen and what I, like, look at, he just seems like he'd be, like, a great, I'm sure great somebody, somebody's probably going to, like, call us out that he's done something horrible. Just, I don't know, yeah, but, just, yeah, yeah. but from his, <laughs> just from his work, uh, which is the only way that I know him, um, he definitely mm-hmm. has a lot of energy um and he brings it to this film for sure mm-hmm. uh well i I, th- I think you know what else do we have to discuss um music we can talk about that a little bit yeah just i mean briefly it's it's there's a really neat soundtrack on the movie um again you kind of mentioned that it's very coen brothersy almost and, I, I, well, and that one that. there's one song about the like the cattle rustling or whatever and um i mean that was reminded me a lot of um it's eddie arnold the cattle call and if i'm not mistaken the movie opens with this song and it it just Mm -hmm. and it comes it comes up i think at another moment in the movie as well i think there's one other instance where it's used yeah um like very briefly but it reminded me a lot of the song in grizzly man that like coyotes wail right at the end but but it's also very similar to like raising arizona yeah it's like that yodeling like country it's like this old country tune um Mm -hmm. yeah i and um but i think you know again uh it the music overall worked extremely well uh there you know there are parts for instance that that yodeling song that kind of bring us really quickly into this surreal world um, but there's also some like there's Madonna, there's Elton John, there's yeah. Pogues, there's, you know, uh, there's popular music, too, uh, that I think works really well. And, and as a little note too, just another small piece of trivia, um, there's actually so um, River Phoenix and his sister Rain had a band and I think it's Aleka's Attic, if I'm not mistaken. And so they had a little band together, and there's actually a song from them titled Too Many Colors in the film as well. As well. So River also contributed to the soundtrack. Mm, yes, yeah. I bet and, you didn't know the, that. So did the, uh, <laughs> the German guy. Oh, did he really? Oh, so yeah, I that see song what... that he's doing in the, the, oh, yeah. the they, they recorded that song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, fine. So you tied me on that. I thought I could like pull. <laughs> I thought I could pull one over on you, but nope, you got me. I got um, it. Yeah, in anyway, my back well, pocket. There you go. Well, I I really enjoyed the conversation about the film. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you enjoyed the film. Period. Because um, that's really fun for me to share uh, films with people. And for those listening, if you've not seen the film. Uh, it'd be kind of weird if you were listening to this and you hadn't seen it but maybe that's what you've done um don't worry it's not a film that you can spoil because there's not really any plot so still go check out the film (laughs) but uh excellent well colin thanks as always man i've really enjoyed our conversation and thanks to everybody out there for taking a listen we really Mm -hmm. appreciate you and we will catch you next time yeah bye-bye